We are in a series of sermons that are looking at the parables of Jesus, which we find in the Gospel of Luke. And this series of sermons will end next Sunday. But usually when you think of the parables that Jesus told, we think of what you might call good example stories. Stories that show us how we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus. So for example, in uh, two of the parables that Clay recently talked about, the parable of the Good Samaritan and the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, both recommend a certain type of behavior that you and I should put into practice if we truly want to be followers of Jesus. The Good Samaritan shows us the example of compassion and helping others in need. The parable of the publican and the Pharisee shows us what it means to be humble rather than arrogant or haughty. Today, however, we run into something entirely different. This parable of the dishonored steward that Pharaoh just read does not give us a good example to follow. In fact, the steward's character uh, is reflected by his incompetence to begin with and then grows into flagrant dishonesty. That's hardly a role model for us to follow as Christians. So what is this parable all about? Why did Jesus tell us, tell it? And what might the message be for us today if we truly want to be followers of Jesus? Let's, uh, let's review the story again quickly. A certain rich man left a steward in charge of his possessions, which was not uncommon back in that day. The steward, however, turned out to be a dishonest rascal and he used his position of management to cheat and to steal from the master. You've never heard of that happening in the world today, have you? Eventually, the master discovered what the dishonest steward was doing, and so he fired him. The steward, however, turned out to be not only a dishonest rascal, but also a clever scoundrel as well. Knowing that he had been fired and therefore he was gonna lose his source of income, both his honest income and that which he embezzled, he went to those who owed debt to the master and he told them that he would falsify the record books so that it looked like they owed far less than they really did. In doing this, this tricky little steward not only gained the favor of those debtors, but he also involved them in his dishonest scheme. If things got bad enough, he could always blackmail them. In this story, Jesus tells it, even the master himself turns out to be something of a scoundrel himself because he praises the dishonest steward 
for his cleverness and his industriousness, even though he was the one that was being cheated. Now, why would Jesus tell a parable like this? Have you ever thought about this parable before and what its meaning might be? What would that meaning be for us, the challenge to us as Christians today? As I've already said, so many of Jesus' parables give us good examples, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, the publican, and the Pharisee, but this parable doesn't give us any good example to follow at all. In fact, as one preacher said, it is a story about as choice a set of rascals as you could meet anywhere. So there's no good example for us to follow in this story. But there are a number of lessons for us to learn. And I think the major point, the greatest lesson that Jesus has to say would be this. Jesus is saying in effect that if my followers, my disciples would work as hard and be as clever in their efforts at goodness and righteousness as these scoundrels were at their efforts in badness and evil, what a different world it would be. If we as disciples worked as hard at following Jesus as others work in the opposite direction, what a different world it would be. And if you study the whole passage, you'll discover a number of other lessons that are very important uh, for life in the world, not only then, but especially today. In verse 13, for example, Jesus makes the great statement about the ultimate meaning in life. He says, no man can serve two masters, for either we serve God or we serve mammon. Either we serve money and material things or we serve God and spiritual things. But you can't serve them both because they are opposites. And every choice that we make in our lives, whether it be great or small, no matter how the alternative might be disguised, is really a choice between God and mammon in, in what we choose to pursue. So once again, the real focal point of this parable, like so many of the teachings of Jesus, has to do with money and material things. Jesus had more to say about money and material things than any other singular subject. And he said all this 2,000 years ago. He must have known where society was then and where it is today. Now, Jesus was speaking back then probably to the Pharisees because they were the lovers of money. But he could, could there be any greater message to speak to our world today, our culture today, where people are so much wrapped up in material living and worldly living and neglecting the spiritual values of life. It's a message that hits home with every one of us, and each of us, there will eventually become a time of accountability when our lives will be weighed out, and which way did we go more, toward money or mammon, for good or for evil? for worldly values or for spiritual values. I think the major point of this parable, however, and the one I wanna focus on this morning, can be found in verse eight, where Jesus says, 
the sons of this world are wiser in their own generation than the sons of light. The Living Bible translates it this way. The citizens of this world are more clever in their dishonesty than the godly are in their righteousness. Or to put it still another way, Jesus is saying that the people of this world who worship mammon, money, material things, are more industrious and clever about their material welfare than they are about their worship of God and their spiritual welfare. Or we might summarize it by saying, busy sinners, lazy saints. And even those who claim to be Christians are more ingenious and excited about getting material comforts and luxuries than they are about achieving goodness and righteousness. We may not want to hear that, and we may not want to admit that, because the truth always hurts, but if we're honest with ourselves, we've got to admit that it's true with all of us. It's true that we spend more of our time and at least 20 times as much of our energy and our resources on pleasures, hobbies, sports, recreation, work, and other aspects of secular living than we do on life through the church and spiritual living. If we would only spend as much time and energy and be as enthusiastic and clever in the things that relate to our souls, as we are with the things that pertain to our bodies, this world, our lives, would be very different. And that's what Jesus is asking for in this parable. But most people, to be honest, even those of us who claim to be Christians, aren't really that eager about pursuing it. Now think about it a minute, what goes on in our lives. How many of you, like me, get at least half a dozen scam phone calls every day? And if you answer those phone calls, they will tell you you have a short time to pay off a debt that you don't really owe or a bill that you don't really owe or to be, avoid being arrested for a ticket that you didn't get or for not appearing for jury duty. How many of you have gotten those kind of phone calls? If you respond to them, they tell you that you need to use a credit card or a gift card or an Amazon card or some other means of sending them money so you won't get arrested. And some even try so hard to get your bank account numbers and you know what they're gonna do with that. These criminals or children of this world, as Jesus would call them, spend countless hours and so much energy working on these scams. And so do drug smugglers in the increasingly clever ways they try to get drugs across the border and into our country. Or those who do human trafficking or identity theft. And even our lotteries continue to work hard to come up with new ways to lure people into throwing away their money by making them feel like you're just going to win a ton of money if you just buy these lottery tickets. And how about each one of us individually? How much time and energy and creativity do we spend 
trying to gain treasures on earth compared to how hard we seek treasure in heaven. I recently heard a grown man say, I've seen that Top Gun movie at least six times and I loved it every time. And I thought to myself, I wonder how many times he's read the Bible during his lifetime. Or the Wall Street Journal, or daily devotions, or time watching the news, or time spent in prayer. How much time, money, and effort do we put into fishing trips, hunting trips, golfing outings, football games, compared to the time, energy, and effort that we put into a mission trip, or a habitat build, or a Morgan Scott trip, or a hurricane response team? In his book entitled, Not In It to Win It, which is being studied by several small groups in our church right now, Andy Stanley says, this is the very problem with the evangelical church today. We spend more effort trying to win on political issues like abortion or same-sex marriages or capital punishment or whether or not to wear masks or to get vaccines or legalizing morality than we do on the real mission that Jesus Christ gave us, which is loving and caring for and serving others, especially those in need. In his book, Stanley says such things as, in our attempt to save America from the other political party, we've lost the opportunity to save American people from their sin. We've let culture and politics set our agenda rather than Jesus. We've based our faith on our politics rather than our politics on our faith. And we've forgotten what it means to be Christians. So in light of Jesus' parable this morning, would you say as individual Christians and even together as the church, we have put more effort into the things of this world rather than the things of Jesus? the things of the soul. And as Jesus is pointing out in this parable, we live in a world of busy sinners and lazy saints. Clay gave me two books last week for my birthday. One was a biography of Queen Elizabeth II that was being written and was in production before she died. The other book was entitled reorganized religion. And it talks about how the church in America is being greatly reshaped today and why it really does matter. The world has greatly changed, especially in the last three years since COVID. You know that, I know that. Attitudes toward the church have also greatly changed, especially when you compare the view of older Americans to younger Americans. As the author of this book, Bob Smithana says, the habit of church going as a socially prescribed requirement for a good life or a religious obligation is no longer embraced by most Americans, especially younger Americans. As late as the mid 1980s, about 70% of Americans claimed to be members of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. 
Today, however, less than half, 47% claim to be members. It's the first time in American history less than half our people claim to be members of a religious congregation. For decades, 40% of the American people would say they had been to church during the past week. Today, it's more like 20%. And when they say they've been to church, they're not just talking about the last week. They mean maybe during the last month. Again, as Jesus is saying in his parable, we live in a world of busy sinners and lazy saints. And while church attendance declines and attitudes towards churches decline, crime, drug abuse, depression, suicide, dissatisfaction, anxiety, worry, and fear are so greatly increasing. It's kind of like the story of the uh, the Indian grandfather who told his grandson, in every one of us, there's a battle going on. There's a struggle between two wolves. One is good, one is evil. One is sacred, one is secular. And when the grandson says, but which one wins? The grandfather says, the one you feed the most. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? in this unusual parable. Good and evil, sacred and secular, treasure on earth or treasure in heaven, which one wins? It's the one you feed the most. And I can't help but be thrilled when I look at all these children and all these young families that are here at Woodmont because you're feeding the one that's most important for your sake and for your children. But I hate to say it, Woodmont is an anomaly in a larger world. I wish it were true everywhere else. Unfortunately, the sinners in life tend to be more active than the saints. And our world is feeling the consequences today. So in each one of us, in your life, which one is winning? Would you say, would you describe yourself more as being a busy sinner or a busy secular person or a lazy saint? Or could you be a busy saint? What an interesting parable Jesus gives us.